For our sermon text, then, you can turn to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Before I read it, you remember, as we've been going through the book of Genesis, we've seen God's work of creation done in six days. At the very beginning, at the beginning of that first day, he brings the heavens and the earth into existence, but the earth is dark and without form. It's a muddled mass. It is also empty or void. And yet God begins to form, to fill the earth. He begins by giving it light on the first day. On the second day, he divides the waters from the waters. He puts the clouds in the heavens. He creates an expanse that we know as the sky or the heavens. He, on the third day, then divides the water from the land, gives, makes dry land appear, fills it with vegetation. On the fourth day, he takes that sky above and he fills it. He fills it with sun and moon and stars, and he delegates the light to them uh, to rule over day and night. On the fifth day, he, he then fills the waters with living creatures. He fills the air with living creatures, the flying creatures, the water creatures. And then on the sixth day, he makes the land animals, fills the land with living creatures as well. Then he sets up his image. Uh, He creates mankind in his image, male and female, and gives them the blessing and charge to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And so we saw last time at the end of the chapter, at the end of the sixth day, that God looked over all that he had made, and each thing he had said, this is good. But seeing it all together and seeing a completed work of creation, he says that it is very good. It is done in wisdom. The parts all fit together. They are in uh, submission to his uh, authority, and this is good. Today we come to the conclusion of that week, Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Perhaps this really should be part of chapter 1, but I didn't come up with the chapter divisions. I'll go ahead and read it then. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Let us uh, pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for the work that you have done and for making it known to us and giving us your word through the prophets, uh, through those inspired authors. We pray that you would, through the same Spirit who inspired it, uh, teach our minds by it, that we might uh, act upon it uh, through true faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It used to be, used to be, uh, that English-speaking Protestants were known for their observance of the Christian Sabbath uh, on the first day of the week, but calling it the Sabbath and resting and worshiping. Not just Presbyterians, though Presbyterians are, have kind of been known for that, but you know, you name it, uh, Methodist, Anglican, Baptist, um, even beyond English speaking, of course, this has been a, a practice of the church 
throughout the centuries. But uh, with the Reformation in England and even into America, this used to be a uh, distinctive, something that we were known for. But that's not the case anymore. You know, there used to be laws on the books uh, that were restricted and directed what you could do on Sunday. Now, they actually still have them in Germany for some reason, but not in America, uh, which is an odd thing, I find. But those laws have been abolished, although apparently you can't buy wine before 9 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. It's still like a tiny, tiny bit uh, something there from those days. I've tried that getting communion wine for for Sunday, uh, <laughs> deed of necessity. But um, there used to be laws in the book. It used to be part of our public uh, society uh, and church observed this. Uh, and the decline of this has led to more pressure to work on Sunday. Um, employers expecting their workers to work on Sunday. Um, pressure on stores to be open on Sunday. Um, some, some have seen the observance of the Sabbath done poorly and, and so react against that. Um, some are skeptical about whether the Sabbath is still binding at all. Is this even something that Scripture teaches that we should observe, or is this merely a tradition that was once practiced? Uh, there have been, in the 18, 1900s, views that uh, disparage the Old Testament and separate it more uh, from the New Testament than had been previously thought. Uh, This has led in part to this decline. There's been views that generally uh, belittle the law of God and its significance for the believer. There have been views that also make little of organized religion in general. Oh, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. It's all about your heart, not about anything external to that. Well, it's really both. But just as important as perhaps these trends that have contributed to this change in practice uh, are trends outside the church. The church has lost ground uh, to two powerful courses in modern society. Uh, Materialism, uh, or we might say industrialism or consumerism. Uh, Materialism and secularism, the idea that that God is irrelevant, uh, that the things of this world are all that is important You, yourself, and you all, myself included, are in danger of being buried in your work and in your entertainment so as to forget God. We talked about that a little bit last week, right? That we should enjoy this earth to God's glory. That's a good thing. But uh, in a day in which now we have to deal with sin, there's a danger that we might uh, lose sight of God and be stupefied by these things and to be led astray from their intended purpose, which was that we might give thanks to God. But God has ordained a day so that you might avoid this danger, to put a limit, to put a direction, to set boundaries. He has appointed the Sabbath. As we find in this text, the Sabbath is a day of rest, the Sabbath is a holy day, and the Sabbath is a blessed day. God rested, God blessed it, and he made it holy. And we've seen God make a lot of divisions in his work of creation, right? Divided light from darkness, divided the waters from the waters, the land from the waters. He's divided uh, throughout creation, making divisions and distinctions. He's divided uh, male and female, making those distinct. 
But in all of these divisions, it wasn't simply to divide things, it was also to bring about a greater unity and harmony that was better than what was before. And that's the case with the Sabbath as well. The Sabbath was not created so that you can be profane the rest of the week. Uh, It was not like, oh, now we do all our God stuff on Sunday and can live however we want the rest of the days. No, it's uh, just as with his other divisions. He divided the Sabbath from the other days so that it would fit together in a greater unity, that you might devote your whole life to God, that you might remember the rest of the week uh, who you ought to glorify, that you might uh, reflect upon that past week and give thanks to God for what he has done that you might going forth from uh, the Lord's day, uh, go forth to devote your work to the Lord. And so this alternation, uh, alternating work and rest, work and worship, uh, serve in unity to direct us to do all that we do to the glory of God. The main point here is that on this day, God ceased from his work of creation, and he blessed that day of rest, and he made it holy. And therefore, that means some things for us, that you should rest from your work on the Sabbath day, that you should keep it holy as he has made it holy. First, I want to explain the text in a little more detail. I want to answer a few potential questions, you know, some questions that are common about the Sabbath, and then to apply it. What does it mean for you and me? First, though, the text God rested, he blessed, he made it holy. Uh, Even before that, it mentions that his work was finished. Uh, And in fact, makes that emphatic, that the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And then it says that he finished his work, that he rested from all the work he had done, and he rested from all the work that he had done. And what did he finish? He finished all his work that he had done. Uh, It's kind of made clear. This is the end of this work of creation. He continues to sustain the earth. Uh, He continues his work of what we call providence, but his work of creation, uh, which was a very special work, uh, unlike the work we see presently, not the normal natural processes that he has set in place, but this work of creation was, was done. On the first day... In Genesis 1.1, it says he created the heavens and the earth. That's where he brings it into existence. But they were far from finished at that point. By the end of the sixth day, the heavens and the earth were finished, and they had a host. They were filled with things. They were filled with stars and moon and sun. They were filled with living creatures in the waters and land and sky. And so all this work was finished, and therefore he ceased from his work. Now, some will notice that this does not say that there was evening, there was morning, the seventh day, as he said for all the other days so far. So some people will say, well, that means the seventh day is an unending day, that it goes on forever. But I don't think we can draw that conclusion from that observation. It is true he doesn't say there's evening and there's morning. I think in part because that's usually a way for the author to proceed to the next day. And this is the last day of that week that he talks about. He still calls it the seventh day, and a day has been defined in the first day as an evening and a morning. So the the day does not continue forever, but we can distinguish between God's rest that begins on that day and the day itself. His rest from the work of creation does continue, but the day itself 
uh, does not, that this day was marked by his cessation of work. We can distinguish, therefore, also from his ceasing to work, which makes that one day special, and his ongoing rest from his work of creation as a consequence, uh, where he now governs things according to the order that he had established. So God, his work of creation was finished. As we saw at the end of chapter 1, it was very good. And so therefore, he ceases from his work on the seventh day. Not only did he cease from his work, uh, but he blessed that day in which he had ceased from his work, and he made it holy. Now, the, ten, the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 is going to use uh, basically the same phrase. It almost is going to quote chapter 1 um, by describing why Israel was to keep the Sabbath day. And because he ceased from his work, because he blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it, sir, made it holy. Uh, in other words, he did this on the seventh day for you. Again, he could have created all things in an instant. He could have done his work of creation in a variety of ways, but he set a pattern for people, uh, work six days and a rest uh, one day in seven. He also did it for you in another way, that you might benefit from this institution. He could have been stingy. He could have just given you bread and water and demanded that you work seven days nonstop. He, that would have been within his rights. But no, he was a good and generous God, and he gave them rest by his example. God exemplifies your work. You know, if we're, tell, we're his image, we're given work to do, we, how do we know how to care for his creation and how to do our work? We look to see how he had done his work in wisdom and, and usefulness and goodness. Well, and he also blesses our work. He, he blessed them and said, you know, subdue the earth and have dominion. Likewise, he exemplifies your rest. He shows you also uh, how to rest, and he also blesses that rest. He blessed the day. The word here for cease is the word for Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath as, as a noun referring to a day. Um, it's, this is the verb form, that he Sabbathed uh, on that day. He rested. The, the Sabbath day, the word itself, means the day of rest, the, the rest day. When he says that God blessed the day of rest, that means he made it a good day. He made it a, a fruitful day, uh, as he does when he blesses people or he blesses their uh, fields or he blesses um, uh, anything that we find in Scripture. It means that he made it good, made it uh, fruitful, made it uh, a blessing. He will bless Abraham and, and make Abraham a blessing. And so he makes this a good day, uh, not a cursed day, a day of doom, but rather a, a blessed day. He also made it holy. He set it apart from the other days unto himself. As Exodus 16, the next time the Sabbath is mentioned, uh, describes it as it is a holy Sabbath to the Lord. It's not merely uh, a rest, but it is a sacred rest. It is a rest consecrated to God. Think of how the word holy is used in a holy nation. Uh, Israel was set apart from all the other nations to be consecrated unto the Lord. Or the holy place in the temple was set apart from all other places. It's a place set apart to the Lord. Or holy ground that Moses stepped on. That was different from all other ground and was to be sacred because God manifested his presence there. Or the holy things that the priests were to guard. 
Uh, those were set apart. They were not ordinary things. Likewise, this was a holy day, set apart from the other days, and not merely uh, a rest, but one that was consecrated to God. So the day of rest is a holy day. Now, Exodus even says that when God rested, that he was refreshed, that God rested on that day and was refreshed. That's in chapter 31, verse 17. Exodus also says that you should keep it so that you and yours might be refreshed. Now, how is God refreshed? Does that mean that he got really tired and thirsty and needed to refresh himself? No, God doesn't get tired. I mean, it, he just spoke these things into existence. and Not like he was worn out, but it says he was refreshed. Well, we think of it in our own human experience, but it means something a little different for God. Not by regaining his strength, but he was refreshed by delighting in his works. Proverbs 8, uh, 31 describes how the wisdom of God rejoiced in his inhabited world. Notice inhabited world, the world as it was finished. He rejoiced in his inhabited world and delighted in the children of man. God took a step back and he delighted in his works and was refreshed. Even so, God calls you to be refreshed by ceasing from your work, taking a step back, and to recall and meditate upon his works. I read Psalm 92 earlier, the song for the Sabbath. It declares, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep or profound. God has done this work in six days, in part so that you might behold his works, that you might realize that every part is created by him, created for his glory, created for your good. And now he sets apart a day so that you might examine his works and give him praise and delight. So consider his works of creation, his works of providence, his works of salvation now as well, by looking around by studying scripture, listening to the word read and taught and preached, by meditating upon these things, by talking about these things with one another, delighting in his works, singing of his works, seeing them, seeing in them especially God's power and his goodness and his wisdom and his glory. And so he blessed the day and set it apart as a day of refreshing rest. And so, therefore, God also taught mankind a lesson by, through this day that we ought to uh, rest, that we ought to work, do our work unto God's glory, uh, and to meditate upon his work and rest in him. God asserts his sovereignty over his creation by uh, this stamp upon man's time, similar to how the, the tithes that God's people were told to give didn't mean that God only owned 10%, right? It meant that that God owned everything, but, but this way demonstrated that it was from his blessing. So, uh, on man's time, God instituted a, a day to teach us about what's true every day. You're taught to give thanks for his gifts, to meditate upon his works, to consecrate your work to him. This is true every day, but we sometimes forget. Your minds wander, and so we have a day to refocus, to redirect ourselves the point is not that you should only think of God one day a week. The point is by setting aside a day in particular 
You're given help to have the right frame of mind throughout your week. The Sabbath reorients you, redirects you, grabs your attention, helps you to refocus and to be grounded. Its observance reminds you of his works, that he made the earth, you didn't make the earth. We're dependent upon him. Be grateful, therefore, and rest upon him. So the Sabbath uh, teaches mankind the importance of worship, the importance of giving thanks, the importance of devoting yourself to your Maker and Savior. So the Lord rested, and not only did He rest, though, but He blessed the day and made it holy. There might be a few questions, though, that we have for the significance of this today. Uh, For example, should we still observe the Sabbath? Was this merely something for the people of God in the past and for the Israelites, or should we still observe it today? Well, yes, we should still observe it today. That would be my contention and not merely mine. And part of the reason is found in this uh, passage. Part of the reason is that this is a creation ordinance. This is something that God made from the beginning, before sin, uh, before Israel was a distinct nation. This was a creation ordinance that he made it holy. Uh, God des- uh, Genesis describes the institution of the Sabbath day in a similar way as it describes the institution of marriage. You know, that God did something, and therefore that sets a precedent for the way mankind is to live. It's creation ordinance. It's not merely a ceremony given to the Israelites to symbolize Christ. There are many ceremonies given to Israel to symbolize Christ um, that we don't observe anymore because we have Christ, the substance. So we don't uh, offer sacrifices anymore. We, we, we don't go to a physical building called a temple. And there, there are changes, but this isn't one of them. Now, this ordinance is used to also symbolize redemption of how God really brought his people out of slavery and relieved that burden. Uh, some of the details, like which day of the week, were ceremonial, but the main point a day, a holy day of rest, one day in seven to be devoted to the Lord. That's founded in the creation order. That is part of the way God designed the world. Uh, That's why it was engraved in stone in the Ten Commandments. Man needs holy rest. You cannot do without it. That's why it even bound the stranger that is within your gates. So it is a creation ordinance, enduring, therefore. But then the other question that might arise is... Why don't we keep it on the seventh day? What are we doing here today? Why weren't we here yesterday? Might be the next uh, question that arises. If we are still to keep it, it's not the seventh day today. Well, the reason why we observe it on the first day is because of the example of Jesus Christ, who is God come in the flesh for our salvation. Um, That just as God's example uh, instituted the Sabbath, so God's example uh, change the day on which it is observed. The example of Jesus Christ and the apostolic church that we find described in the New Testament. It was changed to the first day of the week by the example of Christ uh, first in his resurrection. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week uh, and therefore also brought in the new creation, the new order of things, uh, no longer bound by sin. The first day was when he completed his redemptive work. 
the work of the new creation, just as God had completed his original work. In Luke 24, it describes how Jesus rose from the dead. Not only that, but he met with his gathered disciples. He broke bread with his disciples and made himself known to them, as he would continue to do every subsequent week in one way or another. John actually points out that not only did Jesus meet with his gathered disciples on the first day of the week, that evening of his resurrection, but on the next first day of the week. He says eight days later, counting you know, both first days of the week, counting inclusively, that eight days later is when the disciples were gathered together again, and this time Thomas was with them. Why didn't Jesus you know, show up four days later, or six days later? No, on the next first day of the week, he again meets with his gathered disciples The Sabbath day was the day for the gathering of God's people, a holy convocation. We find that in Leviticus 23. But God picked, Jesus picked, the first day of the week. And so, in Acts 2, when are they all gathered together? When the Spirit comes upon them, who is also God? That's the first day of the week, the day of Pentecost. Um, Then again in Acts 20, verse 7, when do they gather together to break bread and have Paul preach his really long sermon? Uh, in Acts 20, verse 7, it's the first day of the week. He had been there for seven days, but they gather on the first day of the week. Um, although preaching all through the night is a unique thing because he was leaving town the next day. Uh, I won't go that long. First uh, Corinthians also mentions that uh, they, they were gathering uh, regularly for the Lord's Supper. And 1 Corinthians 16 mentions what day that was, that they were together to lay up provisions, not every day, but the first day of the week was when they did that act of mercy. And finally, Revelation mentions a day. It doesn't really say which day it was, but it mentions the Lord's Day as a particular day that the church understood what that was. And throughout the early church, the consensus was that is the name for the first day of the week as a special day on which Christ's people gathered for worship. And so the moral principle, the creation principle of one day in seven as a holy rest is still observed, but the old covenant form is replaced by a new covenant form that's explicitly connected to the work of Christ uh, and is why we observe it today now and why the church has done so throughout its history. But If that isn't entirely convincing, consider the alternatives. If that's not true, now let's consider the alternatives. Did we lose our day of rest? Do we have to work seven days now instead of six? May employers justly demand that from workers? You must work now seven days? Did we lose a day set apart for the worship of God? Is that part of the goodness of the new covenant? Did not God rest and bless and sanctify one day in seven for mankind, not merely the Jews, setting an example for us in this as well as in his work? Or perhaps each person is allowed to choose their Sabbath day. Is that an alternative? You know, it's up up to each person. But what then of corporate worship, worship together as a people? How, How do we coordinate that? We kind of need to all do it on the same day. Again, the rest being for the purpose of holiness, of set apart to God, of worship. Do we forsake the gathering of ourselves as a church for worship? I think Hebrews says something about that. We're not supposed to do that. The weekly rest and worship that's prescribed in Scripture is not merely an individual thing, uh, that you get to choose which day you do it. It's something you rest, you give to others on that day, and it's a rest that you do yourself with God's people. Or, do we observe the seventh day? Do we observe the day 
that death had dominion over Christ and the disciples mourned, or do we observe the day of joy when Jesus rose triumphant from the dead? Why would have Paul uh, grouped the Sabbaths with other Old Covenant ceremonies in Colossians 2 if there wasn't something about it that was unique to the Old Testament, or that there was not some change in its observance? Why does the New Testament consistently mention that the assemblies of Christians happened on the first day of the week, not the second, not the sixth, not the fifth? Did the whole church get this wrong for 2,000 years? Um, These are questions to consider if you're going to try to have some alternative to the idea that the Christian church still is bound, and actually more than the Christian church, but at least the Christian church is still bound by the Sabbath day and that this now is observed on the first day of the week. Additionally, consider how the calendar is used, especially today, but really throughout history, how the calendar is used to shape culture and to shape people. Every month seems to be dedicated to some cultural priority today, Uh, some worse than others, some better than others. Some holidays have become battlegrounds in the culture war, struggle over who we are and what we need to celebrate. Consumerism seeks to claim its share with its own commercial seasons and rhythms and sales. Just as monuments and images shape space and claim space, so holidays and seasons, they claim and shape time. The calendar, especially the public calendar, you know, the one that shows up on your Google calendar or whatever, the the one that the society uh, observes that shapes your time, your focus, your values, your identity to one degree or another, or else why would they have holidays? Why would they try to make this official? And for this reason, too, the Sabbath must not be neglected. It's important. In creation, God set up his monument. He set up man as God's image. But then he also set up his holy day. He set up the Sabbath. God has instituted the Sabbath as a stamp on man, on man's work, on man's world. And so you're not left defenseless before the pressures and the isms of the modern age, at least if you observe his ordinances, if you take advantage of what he has instituted for you. In other words, the Sabbath is not only right, it's also a good idea especially in our contested culture where consumeristic materialism and secular ideologies, they vie for supremacy over a supernatural and Christian worldview. So let's consider then what this text means for you. The text applied. Rest. Keep the day holy. Stop working. Worship God. In some ways it's simple. Some ways, you know, there's details that could get complicated. But basically, rest from your work and keep the day holy. Don't treat it like another day, like an ordinary day. Cease from your normal work, like God ceased from his creation work. Uh, Rest, not only rest yourself, but give rest to others. In the Ten Commandments, it's not only to you, but also to your children, to your animals, to the stranger within your gates. Don't make people work. Uh, Give rest to them that they might rest with you. You know, set boundaries upon your times. Stop working, but then also keep it holy. You have all this time now. You're just going to sit around and be bored. You know, that's, I think, where some of the perceived drudgery of the Lord's Day is. People don't know how to use it. You know, what do we do? Do we just sit down and 
and twiddle our thumbs. No, keep it holy. Use the day for the exercise of piety, for the exercise of mercy, as well as for deeds of necessity. That's a, you know, classic uh, categories that are useful to evaluate what to be done. Is this a deed of piety or worship, a deed of mercy, or is it a deed of necessity? Necessity not meaning it would be inconvenient if you didn't do it, but, uh, you know, it needs to be done. You know, uh, eating, for example, or, you know, uh, saving someone, someone that's stranded on the highway, picking them up, you know, deeds of necessity, which often end up being deeds of mercy, too. Gather with God's people for worship. Meditate upon God's works. Delight in God's works. Do so publicly. That's what we're doing now as a congregation. Do it privately. That, in other words, informally with other people. Uh, talking of these things as the disciples of Christ walked back to their town in Emmaus on that day of resurrection. They were talking of these things that had been happening. And Jesus talked to them and conversed with them about all the law and the prophets Do this secretly as well before your Father who is in heaven to pray before Him. And then show mercy to others, uh, to their soul and to their body. As Jesus said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Um, This is something to be done as well, to, to edify them and build them up in their soul, to also help them in their body. It's one reason why we feast together, both to edify one another as Christians as well as to, to show fellowship and mercy with one another. Another way to think of it is, you know, to imitate God. As God rested, so you should rest. As God blessed the day, so make it a blessing to one another. As God made it holy, so keep it holy by worshiping Him. Now, God gives several motives, uh, additional reasons to observe this Sabbath day. It's reasonable. He gives you six days for your own business. He gives you six days to do about, go about your work, to uh, fulfill your callings, to, uh, to work on your, your uh, earthly employments and recreations. Uh, he gives you six days. He could have just given you one. He gave you six. His command is just, for the day is his day, the Sabbath unto the Lord your God. Don't steal from God. Don't treat it as it's common. It's but right that a due portion of time be set aside for the worship of God. Isn't that fair? Isn't that just? This command is also uh, supported by God's own example. God, who needs no rest, rested one day in seven when he made the world. Will God rest and you refuse to do so? Furthermore, this command is for your own good. God blessed the Sabbath day so that you're so that you would be blessed in the observance of it, so that the day would be a blessing to you. We don't always know how to use it well, but it is intended for your good. It is a good day. It is a day that aims at producing confidence and holy delight and joy. A blessed day is a day of joy. Not only is God glorified, but you are to be refreshed and edified by this holy rest, by the means of grace and the fellowship of the saints. Don't make it a burden on yourself or others. Don't count it as a burden, but rather count it a delight and seek after the blessing that God has placed there. So in summary, God rested. He ceased from his work. He blessed the day. He made it holy. 
This teaches us to, uh, to like him, delight in his works, and to rest uh, in him, and to observe this day as a help to that end, that this day is a day of rest, this day is a holy day, and this day is a blessed day, and this day is set apart so that you might serve God in all that you do, that you might devote everything you do the whole week long to him. May God be glorified. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your mercy to us and being a good God even from the beginning uh, by blessing us and being generous to us, providing us with many good things to enjoy, and by giving yourself to us, even walking with us in the garden, giving us an enjoyment in you by giving us uh, positions of responsibility and privilege in your creation and by even covenanting with us to be our God. We thank you also that though we have gone astray and have become slaves in bondage to sin and the devil, that you have brought us out from that cruel tyranny and once again brought us into your blessing and favor, that we might rest and look to the uh, joys of glory that is yet to come. We pray that you would build up your people through the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, that we might have confidence, that we might delight in you and in your uh, works. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.